Hello, everyone, and welcome to the August 12th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Medical Board of California has filed an accusation against Ronald Glausman of the Curlin Job Orthopedic alleging sexual misconduct while performing an evaluation of workers' compensation claimant. The accusation is a public record and contains the following information. The alleged victim was identified as patient RA, a Spanish-speaking male who sustained injuries at work when a rack toppled over and struck him on the right shoulder and right side of his head. He then suffered two additional injuries, including to his spine while at work. The patient was then allegedly seen in 2008 by Dr. Philip Sobel for a workers' compensation evaluation. Dr. Sobel requested a surgical consultation with the respondent, Dr. Ronald Glausman. Glausman is an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine and shoulder, elbow, and knee injuries at Curl and Job. During the course of Glausman's treatment of the claimant's shoulder, he allegedly conducted an examination of the patient's hip and groin area on several occasions after asking the patient to remove his pants and underwear. The accusation alleges that the patient decided to record his next examination. Thus, the patient, the patient positioned his cell phone's video camera to capture a majority of the examination room and table. Allegedly, the patient obtained a video recording of sexual misconduct at the time of his visit. Allegedly, Dr. Glausman told the medical board that he intended to engage in a sexual act with this patient. The board alleges that the conduct constitutes sexual exploitation of a patient in violation of the law for which the board seeks to revoke his physician's and surgeon's certificate. The accusation is in the preliminary stages of litigation and Dr. Glausman can have evidentiary hearings to disprove any or all of these allegations. His license status will be determined at the end of any litigation process he may follow. And now, our fraud report. Michael Vincent Petronella owns several businesses, including the re-roofing specialist, Incorporated, doing business as Patronella Roofing Western Cleanoff, Incorporated, and Patronella Corporation. In 2006, a state fund claims adjuster received a telephone call from Patronella Roofing's secretary complaining that an injured employee was still receiving workers' compensation benefits, although he had returned to work. The adjuster obtained a copy of Morales' pay stub reflecting he worked for Western Cleanoff. But Western Cleanoff had previously been reported to be dormant and removed from coverage under the policy, but was still listed as an active entity on the Secretary of State's website. The adjuster reported the discrepancy to State Compensation Insurance Fund's Special Investigations Unit. A state fund claims manager compiled a list of 42 persons who filed workers' compensation claims under Petronella Roofing's policy whose payroll had not been reported to SCIF. The ACPA then compared the payroll reports and audit documents Petronella provided SCIF with, the quarterly employee wage reports actually received by EDD. Over that eight-year span, the difference in reported payroll exceeded $29 million. 
The prosecution charged defendant with one count of grand theft, 36 counts of violating insurance code fraud provisions, plus numerous tax evasion crimes. The information also alleged facts for a sentencing enhancement under the penal code. The jury found defendant guilty of 33 counts of, of violating insurance code fraud provisions, but acquitted him on three other similar counts and the remaining tax evasion charges. The Superior Court sentenced Patronella to 10 years in state prison and ordered him to pay $500,000 in restitution. Patronella appealed from the judgment, raising numerous evidentiary, instructional, and sentencing issues. Both defendant and the people appealed from the trial court's restitution award. The Court of Appeal reversed the trial court's restitution order, but otherwise affirmed the judgment in the published case of the People v. Michael Vincent Petronella. The court concluded that a review of the trial court's reasons for awarding Skiff $500,000 in restitution clearly indicates it abused its discretion in reaching this decision. In essence, the trial court said, the trial, the trial court picked a figure out of thin air that was less than what the jury would have found to be the state fund's losses. The matter was remanded to the Superior Court for further proceedings on the restitution award. And in regulatory news, the DWC has again issued a 15-day notice of modifications to proposed physician fee schedule regulations. Comments on the modifications will be accepted until August 19th. Modifications to the proposed physician fee schedule were made following stakeholder comments during a comment period that ended with a public hearing on July 17th. Under these new proposed regulations, the maximum reasonable fee formulas are revised to apply average statewide geographic adjustment factors to the work practice and malpractice expense relative value units for procedures other than anesthesia. A separate average statewide geographic adjustment to factor will be applied to anesthesia services. The transition conversion factors were revised in light of RAND's refined modeling and application of the average statewide geographic adjustment factors. The regulation was also revised to clarify the applicability of 1995 or 1997 evaluation and management of documentation guidelines. Text of these and other proposed amendments to the physician fee schedule are posted on the DWC rulemaking webpage. Members of the public are invited to present written comments by 5 p.m. on Monday, August 19th. Bipartisan Senate postal reform legislation contains provision that would overhaul workers' compensation policies for all federal employees. The 2013 Workers' Compensation Reform Act would cut benefits for federal workers injured on the job once they reach retirement age. Currently, federal employees receive about 66% of their basic salary tax-free. That figure is bumped to 75% if the employee has dependents. Related medical expenses are also covered. The new plan would be to trim the benefit to 50% of an employee's salary once that employee is eligible for retirement. And additional compensation for dependents would no longer be provided. The changes would not affect individuals eligible for retirement on the date of the bill's enactment, 
those with an exempted disability condition, or those who face financial hardship, such as workers eligible for food stamps. The proposal also contains a provision that would boost efforts to help employees on workers' compensation return to work. A similar proposal was included in the Postal Reform Bill last year, which cleared the Senate, but died in the House. So dramatic. Some Democrats and federal employee unions opposed that measure. And in medical news, the American Medical Association just approved a resolution reclassifying obesity as a state disease. This resolution effectively declares that one-third of all Americans suffer from a medical condition that requires treatment. This change is widely expected to increase pressure on doctors to address the condition when treating obese patients and on healthcare payers to pay for obesity consultants and treatment and will likely affect diverse areas of employment including the Americans with Disabilities Act and Equal Opportunity Employment Commission claims. And a new CWCI report suggests that the number of work injury claims involving obesity could increase sharply. In workers' compensation, obesity has historically been a comorbidity, a condition that occurs at the same time but usually independent of an injury or illness. In the past, a medical provider might include an obesity comorbidity code on their medical bill if they felt the condition needed to be addressed so that the work injury could be treated and the patient could recover and return to work. Even as a comorbidity, however, obesity and workers' compensation has gone largely unreported. The CWCI says that may change. According to the report, obesity could become a primary workers' compensation diagnosis, particularly in sedentary jobs like office work or long-haul trucking. The Workers' Compensation Action Network, a group that represents the interests of employers, said that the prospects are grim, especially if statutory or case law proves ineffective in limiting employers' liability to true industrial causation or direct compensable consequences. Researchers have found nerve fiber damage as an underlying cause of some types of fibromyalgia. The study from Massachusetts General Hospital researchers will appear in the journal Pain and has been released online. About half of a small group of patients in the study with fibromyalgia has found to ha was found to have damage to nerve fibers in their skin and other evidence of a disease called small fiber polyneuropathy or SFPN. Unlike fibromyalgia, which has no known causes and few effective treatments, SFPN has a clear pathology and is known to be caused by specific medical conditions, some of which can be treated and sometimes cured. Researchers claim this is some of the first objective evidence of a mechanism behind some cases of fibromyalgia. And identifying an underlying cause is a first step towards finding better treatments. The term Fibromyalgia describes a set of symptoms, including chronic widespread pain, increased sensitivity to pressure, and fatigue that is believed to affect 1 to 5% of individuals in Western countries. While a diagnosis of fibromyalgia has been recognized by the National Institutes of Health and American College of Rheumatology, its biologic basis has remained 
unknown. Fibromyalgia shares many symptoms with SFPN, a recognized cause of chronic widespread pain for which there are accepted and objective tests. Designed to investigate possible connections between the two conditions, the current study enrolled 27 adult patients with fibromyalgia diagnosis and 30 healthy volunteers. Of the 27 fibromyalgia patients, 13 had a marked reduction in nerve fiber density, abnormal autonomic function tests, or both, indicating the presence of SFPN. The next step is independent confirmation of these findings from other laboratories. Arthritis is a debilitating disorder with pain caused by inflammation of damage to joints. Yet, according to an article in Science Daily, the condition is poorly managed in most patients since adequate treatments are lacking. And the therapies that do exist to ease arthritis pain often cause serious side effects, particularly when used long term. Any hope for developing more effective treatments for arthritis relies on understanding the processes driving this condition. Now, researchers at McGill University published a new study in the Journal of Neuroscience adds to a growing body of evidence that the nervous system and nerve growth factor play a major role in arthritis. The findings also support the idea that reducing elevated levels of NGF-A protein that promotes the growth and survival of nerves but also causes pain may be an important strategy for developing treatment of arthritis pain. To investigate the role of these abnormal sympathetic fibers, the McGill researchers used an agent to block the fiber's function. They found that this reduced pain-related behavior in animals. These findings reinforce the idea that there is a neuropathic component to arthritis and that sympathetic nerve fibers play a role in, in increasing the pain. As more information about the causation of arthritis is known, opportunities for employers to seek apportionment is enhanced. And in financial news, the insurer and public members of the WCIRB Governing Committee voted unanimously to authorize the WCIRB to submit two filings to the California Department of Insurance. One filing will contain proposed advisory pure premium rates for 2014 that average approximately $2.62 per $100 of payroll. This new rate is 3.4% above the industry average filed pure premium rate as of July 1, 2013. These proposed advisory pure premium rates reflect the WCIRB's most current evaluation of Senate Bill 863. However, these proposed rates do not reflect any provision for the impact of the new physician medical fee schedule which is based on the resource-based relative value scale. If the DWC adopts a new fee schedule, the WCRB anticipates modifying its proposed advisory pure premium rates based on its evaluation of the cost impact of the new schedule on medical costs. WCRB's August 9, 2013 regulatory filing will include proposed amendments to the California Workers' Compensation Uniform Statistical Reporting Plan. The amendments to the USRP include Fitch ratings affirmed the W. 
double A rating on nearly $560 million in California infrastructure and economic development, Bank Workers' Compensation Relief Bonds Series 2004A and 2004B. The bonds are limited obligations of the infrastructure bank payable solely from pledged revenues imposed by the California Insurance Guarantee Association upon all insurers providing workers' compensation insurance policies in the state. The bonds are secured by a first lien on an unlimited mandatory special assessment on all insurers writing workers' compensation policies in the state. The special SEGA assessments is established annually. SEGA sets the rate annually at a level projected to cover expected debt services. If insufficient supplemental assessments may be levied as necessary to ensure coverage. Fitch noted that California workers' compensation system has undergone considerable reform over the last decade. Prior to reforms in 2003 and 2004, the market faced a high level of payouts, fierce price competition, and subsequent insurer insolvencies and involuntary departures from the market. Reforms include higher regulation assessments on insurers and authorization for up to $1.5 billion in SEGA bonds. The outstanding bonds were issued in 2004 with proceeds used by SEGA to pay claims on insolvent insurers. A second issuance planned for 2006 was never undertaken. The remaining bond authorization, which was intended to expire in 2006, has been extended by the state's legislature. Well, that's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.